BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, as outrage over law enforcement violence grows, one California county has the most murders at the hands of police and almost no accountability. We'll discuss the documentary series, Killing County. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Happy Valentine's Day, Rebecca. Oh, Kevin, did your Super Bowl winner uh, prevail? Yes, and so I'm putting all of that money into not buying a Valentine's Day card. (laughs) This greeting will suffice in lieu of a card. How romantic. Yes. I really appreciate that. Valentine's Day is tomorrow, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. As this podcast is dropping. Keep an eye out for my Valentine's Day tweet. By the way, um, so what was the score of the Super Bowl? Oh, well, you know, you just have to, I forgot. You just want to look it up. (laughs) And who was the winner again? Them, that my person. team. That, that team, you know that team that people the like. The team that scored the most. Are we alluding to the fact that we taped this before the Super Bowl, Kevin? Is that what we're I alluding to? I think people realize we didn't tape this <laughs> at 11.30 on Sunday night. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And um, since I could care less about football, I was all about making the snacks. Oh, well, I would be all about eating the snacks, except the people mm-hmm. who usually host the Super Bowl party that we go to are out of town. Yeah. So I'm, oh, hoping, no. that, uh, I'm hoping that retroactively Kevin made some snacks for me. Of course. Or maybe there were a ton of some... snacks. You got all the favorite ones, Rebecca. Don't you remember? Did you get me some wings? Got your wings. Uh, And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Were you happy with the outcome of the Super Bowl, Toby? I was ecstatic. (laughs) One of the best ones we've had. Did you burn Philadelphia down? One of the best Super Bowls ever. (laughs) What's that? Yeah, yeah. Because as we know, it was going to burn either way (laughs) either way it's gonna happen they burn it if they win they burn it if they lose (laughs) were you more upset about the outcome of it is it ryan reynolds that owns the soccer team now 
Yeah, I was not upset. Wrexham, yeah. Yeah, now he's like out. His team lost. He's out of the running, Tobes. Aren't you upset about that? For for the FA Cup? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not very surprising. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think they're... They're like third or fourth division or something. Like okay. there was no way they were actually going to win it. Huh? Yeah. At least he's diversified in his business ventures. You got to appreciate that. Yeah. He he also knows nothing about soccer, and he, he admitted doesn't? that. Yes, he went in a, like on a like on a whim with the, his partner. Do they, they like Rob met a week? Yeah, they met like There's a week. There's some sort of documentary that. about it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, they're like I think they're one of the oldest clubs in in Britain, and they're in Wales, and I think they just they kind of rescued it and are trying to like bring it back to. It's kind of like Ted Lasso. To prominence. Hmm. It is, except that they're owners and they're like, I don't know. It's not really that much like Ted Lasso. It's soccer and Americans, but they're suddenly very popular. Like they're on like guys I play soccer with talk about them. Ah. So mm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll make, it's hard. Like British sports, like the English premier league and, and all those other leagues are different than American sports because you can go up and down between the leagues. Like the leagues are all kind of stacked. Mm-hmm. And so the top team in a league will move up a league. And then the bottom league teams in a league will move down a league. You know, a team like Wrexham, if they make the right investments and stuff, you know, in like four or five years could be like knocking on the door of the Premier League. But it involves spending a lot of money and all this. It's, it's complicated. But anyway, it's just different. It's not. It's not like the... Portland Sea Dogs, whatever it is, can't like do really well and suddenly be in the major yeah. leagues. You know, they're, they're just not going anywhere. It would be like all of a sudden if we were as popular as My Favorite Murder, which is not going to happen. But like, it would be like that, right? Not at all like that. <laughs> right? We're like in the major leagues of podcasting. We're on tour with like uh, Call Your Daddy or whatever. No, not going to happen. Who's your daddy? <laughs> oh, I'm saying Call, call Your Daddy. Your daddy? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a very popular podcast, Toby, which you wouldn't know because we're not in that league. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, Kevin, obviously, this is Monday's Fine Podcast. Yep. What is happening on Thursday's program? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the podcast Ghost Herd. All right. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. Uh, before we start it's the about show, cattle. I know this is a, an audio medium, but I would like to apologize to my fellow podcasters for my outfit this evening. <laughs> yeah. I know you're all looking at it. You, you can't look like stop. Santa. Um, I am currently wearing it says Hawk. Yes, I'm currently wearing one of my children's high school Nordic ski hats underneath <laughs> another one of my children's college sweatshirts because I am freezing. I have the chills and the bone aches because I had a COVID booster yesterday and I am feeling Oof. all of the booster things. And I want to thank Kevin for indulging me and bringing me stuff on the couch today. So thank you, Kevin. Oh, you're welcome. You made me hot chocolate in the middle of the day. You put a hot water bottle at your feet. Yes. Oh. You brought me a scoop of shepherd's pie, which was very nice. Two scoops. (laughs) Who made the shepherd's (laughs) pie? I did. No, you didn't. I mean, I heated it up. Good job. (laughs) He brought it to the store and heated. It was very nice. It was very nice. He let me watch three episodes of Will Trent and just sat there like (laughs) very patiently. I really appreciate it. So thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, on my Thursday show, I'll be dressed completely differently. No, I won't. I, no, you <laughs> won't. Because wait. We're <laughs> Sorry, guys. Because we taped that right after. We it's did. okay, yeah. Rebecca. You look, Um, you kind of look, you, you've got sort of a very New England vibe going on right now. Like, I, I look, can see you outside a convenience store with a brown paper bag sitting on a curb right now. And you'd be like, yo, what's up? I look like a cast member of South Park. 
Yeah, yeah actually, you kind of yeah. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we going to talk yeah. about this review? Yes. I yeah, feel talk like about you're this. stalling. I am a little bit. All, All right. right, I'm stalling a little bit. Let's let's get into it. Um, I'm going to go ahead. This is a deep one, and drop that first clip right now. And I knew there was something going on. I asked her straight. It was it was my son. And she replied, "Yes, Did your son died in a shootout last night." A wave of gunfire in a parking lot. A man hogtied and beaten to death. A grandfather with dementia shot in his driveway while holding a crucifix. The many families of victims in Bakersfield and Kern County, California, search for justice in the county with the highest death rate by police violence in America. We do not believe that the men and women in this organization have ever violated constitutional rights, have ever used uh, excessive force that we didn't deal with uh, punitively when we found that just doesn't happen in our organization. In a system where police brutality is investigated by police, few cops here are held accountable for even the most egregious uses of deadly force. And its police chief is more interested in giving taxpayer money to settle lawsuits than improving public safety. Reporters have found examples of thousands of police officers who their departments have paid out multiple settlements for their conduct for things that they've been accused of. And... Nobody's really keeping track of those officers who have those track records. From producer Colin Kaepernick, the ABC News studio Hulu's Killing County explores one community's cops known to shoot first and ask questions later. It provides video and witness accounts of police brutality and introduces us to several families affected by law enforcement violence. In an era where police murders are prevalent, Killing County asks why it is so bad here. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Killing County. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, so Colin Kaepernick is obviously known for his activism on the football field and post his football career. And now he has gone into uh, making media, not only about this type of topic, but obviously this one is very directed. Right. Um, How do you feel about the fact that he has now produced and his company actually has now produced this particular documentary? So this was really interesting to me because, you know, obviously we followed all of his activism and efforts in football, you know, at first I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. He he wants to raise awareness in a new medium. I was a little curious, like, first of all, what his role was in this, like how much oversight he had, or did he just have the production company and sort of send them on their way? Like what was his participation in this? I mean, good for him. I think that's great. I think this is a great topic. And he picked a area of the country and a police force that clearly needs to have a spotlight on them for what's been happening there. But that said, I think there were great parts in this. And then I think there were other parts that just fell flat to me from a production and style standpoint. And, you know, I think that's a little bit unfortunate because I think we had three great examples of situations where people were killed at the hands of these police that were really three very different examples that really could have brought awareness. But I think there was some of the, like I said, some style and production choices made that for me didn't help it reach its full potential. 
Yeah, I, I agree, Laura. I was surprised that Colin Kaepernick really had no presence in this documentary other than his name in the credits. I mean, that might be by design, right? It might be because the critics are going to come anyway and say, oh, well, you know, this is his thing. And now it's a bit of activism. I think, you know, an even handed, disinterested look at the topic is going to come to the same conclusion as one if it were just uh, dripping in in activism. So I'm not sure whether you're going to stave off the criticism anyway, but I'm not I'm not really sure what a suitable role for him would be. I don't think I, I can't actually come up with the answer to that. He could narrate. Maybe he's a horrible narrator. I mean, who knows? There could be, you know, he I'm can't like, be worse than the know, narrator we have. Okay, yeah. Do you know how a production company works? <laughs> I mean, all it is. Yeah, is, yeah he's a he owns a production company. And he decide he chooses projects that are funded by people and they get made. Like so it's basically he is backing them, but he's not have doesn't have necessarily necessarily creative control over them, but he is cho- picking and choosing the projects that he wants to, you know, back is basically how it goes. He's not paying for them, he's not necessarily directing them, but the production company is basically like a label like a record label, right? And yeah. so Yeah, but I I would argue that if there is anybody in the United States that is the face of this issue, it's Colin Kaepernick. So I think it's reasonable to scratch your head at like, OK, well, should he be involved in this? If he is, what role does he have? I don't know. But I was just if you told me that if I didn't know that he was a producer, you know, this would have gone on. It would have, it would have hit the same way. But, you know, I, I just I just wonder. I think it could have. I think it would have distracted from yeah. the real people who are really in the center of the could story. Go either way. So okay. I am glad he wasn't present because I think the people who were at the center of it should have been at the center of it. So I'm glad that he sort of stepped out of the way. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think he would have his his gravity would have been strong. He would have drawn a lot of the attention. You know, they're they're trying to expose something that's going on, right? So if you have somebody who whatever percentage of the country are automatically going to discount anything that he's like upfront in. Uh, I think that works to the detriment of, I mean, I personally don't, I think he's great. Yeah. He's wonderful. I mean, there's, there's enough people who I think would automatically discount other stuff that follows because he's upfront. And, you know, I mean, who knows if the, the production being a producer is enough, but like, there's just no way that if you didn't see the credits or have read about it, you don't watch it and be like, oh, Colin Kaepernick. Right. You know, it doesn't doesn't scream his name at you. Right. So, Toby, there is a very traditional aspect of this series, which it has sort of like a frontline-y feel in some aspects. There's a narrator who sort of breaks in and explains things, which I found a little bit jarring in terms of the format because there's so much about the format of this that I really liked, but then it sort of had this very conventional, uh, these very conventional narrative tools. What did you think of that sort of mixed medium here? It's sort of leaning on this very traditional storytelling, almost like 1980s, 1990s style with this very much more in your face, uh, emotionally resonant, you know, real people in the story talking to the camera point of view style. Yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot stylistically going on in this. And I think there's enough that some of the stuff I think works really well. And some of it doesn't work so well. And some of it, I, I don't think either adds to or detracts as far as the actual, the sort of voiceover stuff at the very beginning, I thought it was sort of weirdly general. The promise of a good future draws families to Bakersfield. But it's a town firmly rooted in its past. 
Here in the San Joaquin Valley, just over 100 miles northwest of Los Angeles, Bakersfield is a big city with the soul of a small town. The first 10 or 15 minutes, I got really worried about this because it did not seem very focused and it just seemed vague enough that I was like, I, I hope they know where they're going with this. Um, but it did get better. Laura, what did you think about the actors recreating the police transcripts, the police press accounts, and the police depositions? We basically had three, I think, actors here. There was a woman and two men. I'll just tell you, I first thought it was a little weird, but then I got used to it. And I thought it was pretty great because they were actually giving really strong performances. Um, but I'm just curious what you thought of that because that was a new format that I don't think that we've seen before. Yeah. Anytime we watch one of these documentaries, we've seen people over the last couple of years try to get really creative with how they are animating or using video or narrating court documents police reports, information that we don't have somebody there telling us about in a way so that it's not just like, so we've seen a lot of really creative approaches. And at first I was like, wow, this is super slick. Like they've got this like really slick looking actor in his like really well-fitting suit coat with his like blue power shirt and his background. And I'm like, oh God, but like you, Rebecca, that did grow on me. I did like it. And what I liked about the way that they did those those people reading those recreations was that they did it in a way that was professional looking, but also they didn't have a lot of extra stuff around to distract. Mm. Well, maybe I can distract everybody with the business section. Yeah, that's a good segue, Kevin. Because that is something we have to do have to do. Let's interrupt this discussion because I do want to talk about the cases at the heart of this uh, when we come back from that. But well, Kevin, we, we do have to talk about stuff that we have going on. Uh, what's going on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Uh, well, on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can join us. In fact, if you want to join us, 14-day free trial, go ahead and do that. Giving Somebody away thinks, the store, Kevin. No, everybody who's uh, getting their trial, they're all sticking around. It's great because they love our content like the crime writers on after show we got so many comments last week about our discussion about schoolhouse rock and all of our favorite schoolhouse rock songs growing up we're going to continue that theme and we're going to talk a little more about our favorite television shows and cartoons from when we were kids we are we are when did we decide you know that? i didn't have tv right like well, what am Mara, i going no to talk about my abacus from you <laughs> it's going to be the three of us Laura can talk about her extra sketch. Laura, you have proven you can talk about stuff you know nothing about. No, I can just make some shit up. Exactly, exactly. And we know Toby likes the Blue Falcon. And Dog Wonder, away! Let's see if Toby likes Captain Caveman. He's going to love that Zagnut commercial. Yeah. Captain. You don't remember Captain Caveman? I don't, I don't know, I don't know the, Captain Caveman. And the Teen Angels? No? Okay. Well, let's get on to other things. Tonight, later tonight, on Monday night here, we're having our pre-Valentine's Day show of uh, Married with Podcast. Yay! Join us on Patreon, and you can take part and watch the live show. We're going to be talking about all sorts of uh, pre-Valentine's Day relationship questions and giving our best advice so that you can be all sweet and hot with your uh, with your boo. Mm. Also, we have the latest episode of Leave It to Bricker. And Laura, she's getting back in the saddle, quite literally, right? I'm getting back in the saddle in more ways than one. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> 
No. Uh, yeah, no, I got back in the saddle after I thought 10 years, but I think it might be closer to 15 years. Like Rebecca's face. Oh, wow. And um, this was thanks to my great friend, Ann Chaya. The, uh, she's the master chocolatier for Lynn. I met her at Wine Club. She said, Bricky, let's go riding. And now we have an ongoing series of adventures, which we're calling the Middle Age Riding Ladies. And um, it began with getting on last summer. And you're going to hear where it's going to go next. And it's going to be pretty exciting. Wow. All right, Kevin, uh, does that end our business section? Is that all we got going on? No. 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 At six o'clock tonight, if you're listening to this on the Monday that it drops... We're taping the deep dive at six o'clock. That's right. And what is the uh, book that you're talking about? It's Karachi Vice. Karachi Vice: Life and Death in a Contested City by Samira Shackle. Wow, so we have two live events tonight for patrons. Too. Yeah, two oh, live I can't events. wait. Can it's I a come double to both bill. of them? Yep. You're not this invited, Laura. No. <gasps> what? You're invited. Start forking over $25 a month. (laughs) (laughs) You're invited, Laura. You're invited. Thanks, Rebecca. You can ask a question during Mary with Podcast. It'll be fine. I will. I'll come in. Sign up for our newsletter at crimewriterson.com. You can learn about all the events we have going on, everything that's going on on our Patreon and in our podcast feed. And thank you so much for enduring our business section during this very important discussion of this very important documentary. Kevin, should I go ahead and fade that music out right now? Fade the music out. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. So we need to talk about some of the actual cases at the heart of this documentary. I mean, I think um, formatics aside, there are some really incredible stories that this uh, documentary tells. There is one that they sort of stretch through the episodes, and then there are several stories Mm -hmm. that happen during the episodes. So the case of Jorge Ramirez Jr. uh, is the one that sort of extends through the three episodes, Kevin. Yeah, it's got a through line, yeah. Yeah, and there's like a lot of suspense in that story because it starts sort of here where, you know, it's this police shooting that gets reported in this very Uh typical way where police sort of frame it as he's like, not a great guy. And his family is like, no, he's, you know, he's, yeah, he had a criminal past, but he's like, fine. In fact, one time in his life, he tells me, I need to be put in a rehab home. We put him lean on the house to borrow some money and, and help him through his addictions. So we were there for him, you know, uh, and I know he struggled. He was not perfect. No one's perfect. 
And then there is all these twists and turns in that story. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, why when you say a surprise plot twist, it's like, I didn't see that coming. You're like, yeah, that's why it's a surprise. It does start off in a kind of narrative that we've heard far too many times about a guy uh, struggling with drugs is sort of, I guess, in the wrong place, the wrong time, or has an encounter with police and he's killed and the family is mistreated afterwards. And so that's the narrative we hear. We hear this through the Ramirez family and their experiences. And it's sort of at the end of the first episode that we realize there's much more to this man's story about how what he was doing at the time that he was a passenger in a car where the two guys there were, were killed in a hail of gunfire. That this guy was actually was working as an informant, you know, for the cops when all this went down. And, you know, we find out later he essentially told the cops where to come find them right because yes. he was working to like give up the guy who was in a very dangerous man in the you know in the in the driver's seat all these different stories they say that there are an average of 13 police murders a year then you've got you could do seasons and seasons of podcasts so they pick out six i think of the most rage inducing ones this was one and you're right they do the thing and i toby's the one who always sort of points this out that one of the first things they do the playbook is to find out all the bad stuff that you can about the victim or make stuff up and put it out there in the press because they want to control the narrative that you know a uh, a sweet innocent man was not the one killed by cops. Right. And as his sister points out, they even like the photo they put out of him is one where he's wearing a shirt where you can see all of his tattoos and they yeah. make him look as tough as possible. It's it's really incredible. I think the most difficult story to watch in this documentary is the murder of David Silva. Yeah. They play the audio and the fuzzy video of his killing again and again and again. This is a man who by all accounts, went to seek medical attention, you know, for whatever reaction he was having to medication or something that was going on with him, was turned away from a medical facility and essentially, like, fell asleep or something outside, was confronted by police, was hogtied, had a mask put over his head, was attacked by dogs, police dogs, and killed. And there were witnesses who watched it happen and filmed it. It's obviously very evocative, a lot of a lot of other police murders that we've seen. But Lara, this one was, I mean, we hear from his brother and his mother throughout the documentary, but this it was it was extraordinarily difficult to see. Oh, this was fucking horrific. You know, we have this guy, he's outside the medical center. Like you said, he's been sleeping. They try to wake him. You know, he fights against them when they're waking up. Many police departments have banned hog tying for decades. The Kern County Sheriff policy still allows it, but only in the gravest of circumstances. They also put a canine on Mr. Silva. They put a spit mask over his face, which further restricted his ability to breathe. Then they sick the police dog. They strike him with batons. The dog bites him. And this was something, again, we're talking about like what documentaries do differently. And like earlier it was like, okay, we're using the reenactors. Well, here they did a very effective illustration of what hog tying looks like and basically how he was hog tied. And then how they put this bag over his head that he's like choking on. And you hear him at one point, I believe, like crying for his mother shortly before Things get to the point, you know, the mask is on for about, I think, like 20 seconds. They remove it. And then 
you know, he's kind of hanging out there dying and medical attention isn't immediately rendered. What the fuck, man? But that's a theme. That's what happens. Someone gets shot and they just let them lie there and they stand around and, and talk about what they're going to do. Well, well, they handcuff them. Yeah. Yeah, they handcuff them so they can die. But in this case, you know, we, we hear him crying out as they are beating the shit out of him and literally killing him. So, Toby, what's interesting to me is that they're, I think the documentary does a good job telling different kinds of stories, right? But the narrative is essentially, Toby, the playbook and the narrative with the cops is the same. And that is kind of the point, even though... The victims are different, the circumstances are different, and the stories are different. Right. And I think they pick them They pick them well in that the circumstances are quite different for each one of them. The one that we haven't talked about, and I'm not going to remember the guy's name, but he basically has gone in and robbed a subway. Jason, Jason Alderman. Alderman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he, and he's, he's broken the bottom pane of the glass door, and as he's coming out, he gets shot and, and, and killed. And again, it's it's all caught on camera. It didn't seem to me that he even knew that there were cops there. Like he was just kind of doing his thing and, and getting out. I mean, I think what it really effectively shows is, you know, it really is. It's a shoot first, ask questions later type of situation. And, and it's not just shoot first, it's shoot to kill because you actually do see this horrendous piece of video where the the sheriff, the guy who's in charge of all these people, is making a joke at a meeting about how it's much cheaper to kill somebody than it is to maim them because the payout that you have to give to somebody, to the family of somebody who's been killed by the police is most likely less and you're going to have to pay out for somebody who's, you know, permanently disabled because yeah. of a shooting. I think what happens when a guy makes a bad shooting on somebody and kills him, there's like a clear pattern that can be spread across different circumstances. So it's not just that they're shooting people who are committing crimes. It's not just shooting people who are having mental health issues. And, and then the whole thing with the informant is just like its own story because that has to do not just with killing people, but also with improper handling of how do you use informants and the necessity, like one of the things that you're supposed to do is keep them safe by not trying to arrest the guy in, in what is probably going to be a very fraught, violent arrest situations with the informant right in the car with them. Like you're supposed to get him the hell out of there and then go in and make the arrest. They don't do that. I think there's just just generally not a whole lot of emphasis placed on the value of the lives of citizens, you know, regardless. Toby, the thing that struck me about the Jason Alderman videotape. That's the subway killing, That's right? the subway killing. And yeah, the tire iron that he was holding does look like a rifle. It's really weird shape. I, I get that. But when he was shot, he was crouched down trying to go out sort of the the lower glass panel of the glass door yeah. sideways. That is an easy freeze, put your hands up moment. He, It's like he hit an electric fence. He was going out. He's not in a, uh, an aggressive stance or anything. He just stepped. He wasn't even out the door and was shot. And I don't know why they pulled him out of the, like, back through the door. They never kind of explained that. Was that to render aid? No. Or was that to change the way the, the scene looked? Yes. You know, I mean, they didn't explain that. Well, I think if he's 
If he's inside or in the middle of the door, I mean, he's not he's yeah. not a danger, right? Like, it's hard to justify it. If he's outside, you can be like, hey, the guy was like holding this thing that looked like a gun and we had yeah. no choice. And if he stood up and he still- He's yeah. in the most vulnerable possible position. I mean, you just say, drop drop the fucking gun. Like, the guy, he can't even stand up when he got shot. There, He couldn't have even have stood up. I mean, he was stuck. But you can see the cover up starting immediately and the thinking. And this is this is just like what happened in the Tyree Nichols case. If you've read the immediate press release that was sent out after the Tyree Nichols killing, it was like he was short of breath, taken to the hospital and died en route or something like that. The cover up starts immediately. And then in the video, you see the first responders showing up, the EMTs, and they're all standing around talking about what they are going to do. Yeah, you know, like the larger themes that we learn, well, I should say the larger themes of the documentary are things that we're familiar with. But one of the things that I learned, I thought was really amazing, was the immediacy of which the cops tried to grab all the video evidence. Yes. So I was like, whoa, can you imagine a judge signing a warrant to seize the telephone In the of a case, witness? right? Yeah, in the Silva case, but then also the Alderman case, oh, uh, Subway, the cameras are not working. You know, they shut it off at night, which is when you're supposed to have the, the only reason you have the cameras there. And some whistleblower employee was like, bullshit, here it is. Yeah. Let me show you this. Because without the video, and we see this time and time again, and this is the same for body cam and all that stuff, without the video, it's kind of a he said, he said. On all this, oh no, he went for his, you know, he went for his waist and he did the Alderman case, they were just Painting that as like, you know, he was operating procedure. He was moving aggressively and he was threatening us with something. We mistook it for a gun. He was just shot sniper style, you know, like like he's coming out of a foxhole, doesn't even realize what's happening. The taking of the phones was really stunning. Yeah. yeah, In that in the David Silva case, because the witness shot the video, right? Mm -hmm. She called the cops on the cops. I'm thinking to myself, record, record, record. But recording it didn't stop it. So Selena did the only thing she could think of. I'm like, F this. I'm calling the cops on the cops. Yep. She said, I'm watching your cops. I've just watched your cops murder somebody and I'm watching them murder somebody right now. She, she got the whole thing on video. The cops went to her house and they didn't say, send us the unedited video. They said, we need to take your whole phone. She never got it back. Right. She still hasn't it back, yeah. Which is, I mean, what does that tell you? Like they could... Say, hand us your phone and email the video to themselves if they wanted the video. They don't want the video. They want that. They want to control of the video. Yeah, exactly. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? 
Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, TruthFinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. TruthFinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Killing County? It's on Hulu. It's from ABC News Studio, and it is from Colin Kaepernick Productions. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this documentary series? I'm going to go thumbs up. I think this was a really important region of the country to raise some awareness about. I want to applaud Colin Kaepernick for putting together this production company and trying to continue to raise awareness of these issues that he has really been out front on. We had three cases that were really good examples of what's going on in Bakersfield, California. My only issue, so I'm like, I'm a thumbs up, but I do have a little bit of a waiver on it because my issue with this was the narrator for me was so disjointed from the rest of the style of this documentary in a way that to me just didn't work, that it was very distracting for me. And I also felt like I lost a lot of the key points because this particular narrator was very calm and very monotone. And that would be great if he was like narrating in like a wellness spa, but I wanted a little more inflection and a little more emphasis on the right syllable Uh, to know what I was supposed to be paying attention to, especially in a case like this, where there was some really important points that they were trying to make. So that was my only critique of this. Um, But otherwise, I just thought these were three cases that were all very unique and definitely cases that should be highlighted. Toby Ball. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a thumbs up. You know, this is what, about like two hours, two and a quarter hours, two hour, 20 minute total. I think about two thirds of it is just excellent. I think it starts off kind of slow. And then there's this like very, very long coda at the end, which is about sort of the activism that's undertaken by by some of the people you see earlier and some legislative stuff. And to me, it just went, it just seemed to go on and on and on. And I, I think that's, you know, I get it, especially if you're working on a show like this and get to know the people and you want to show that there are, sort of resilience and, and triumphs and stuff like that. I think it's it's probably very cathartic for the filmmaker, but as the audience, I think you can kind of get that stuff across pretty quickly. But the stuff that is good, like the hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes, is really just very powerful. They've found a community with a real institutional uh, problem with law enforcement, and they have found cases to look at that are um it, it shows it shows the commonality between the way the the police address very very different situations i also think that they get the difficult and delicate balance of background about the victim meeting their families the actual facts of the case and the aftermath like they seem to get this right every single time in my opinion and and that as Anybody who's listened to this uh, podcast is not something that happens all that often. Um, so if if they could have just tightened up the ending part a little bit and maybe start off a little bit stronger, it would be like a super high thumbs up. But because of those kind of two issues, you know, if I was going to watch it again, I would probably start, you know, 10 minutes in and then 
And as soon as they started to get to the sort of coda section, and then that part would be like super, super strong. Kevin Flynn. I'm thumbs up. I don't think this documentary has the urgency that the issue demands. It is kind of standard fare, so it's good. They, I, they did a good job of connecting the half dozen families and cases that they did profile. They were able to sort of bring them all together at the end. It did go on a little too long. I think uh, they could have sort of come to another kind of ending without, ha- like Toby said, having to sort of drag it up for the last half an hour. But one thing, too, that they didn't mention and I think is kind of relevant is that this is the congressional district of one Kevin McCarthy. Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House. And so he will have a big say in police reform legislation or not. And I think that, you know, that's not an insignificant factor to what's going on. But it was good that they focused on one, not just like any old community, because you could tell this story in any community in the United States, but to go to the one where it is most prevalent and there seems to be zero accountability was a good place to start. Uh, yeah, this sums up for me, too. I agree with Toby that the parts of this that were excellent were so excellent. And if it were tighter, it would be brilliant because the threads that are there I haven't seen before, which is that the diversity of victims in this community really highlights that this is in this area a like it's a series of murders. I mean, it is just a series of murders that could literally happen to anyone like it is just it is just it's pervasive and it's constant um there's just a couple of threads yes we have the ending after ending after ending we also have this story in the middle of this cop who was corrupt who became a celebrity oh yeah that isn't really tied to anything in the documentary except that he was a cop so he's giving the inside perspective of the force but he's kind of an unreliable narrator because he is a disgraced cop so that is doesn't really tie in the strongest voices in the documentary are the Ramirez are David's brother, are the people who are completely directly affected and have become activated. And the fact that they've become activated together is really, really powerful and beautiful. Not hopeful, but powerful. And those are the parts of the documentary that really hold strong. And I agree with Toby, the TikToks of the crimes, the way the victims are portrayed, the way their families are portrayed are pitch perfect. And that is not usually well done in stories like this. So generally, yes, a thumbs up for me for this documentary as well. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. Crime of the week. A court in Spain has ruled that a Valencia man has the right to walk down the street totally naked. Mm. Alejandro Calamar appealed his fines he got for his skin-bearing stroll through his town, saying they infringed on his right to ideological freedom. He says he's never received complaints, except from that one guy who threatened him with a knife, and we can guess what he'd do with it. Alejandro showed up at the high court wearing nothing but hiking boots and a smile, but he was asked to cover up. Public nudity has been legal in Spain since 1988, though some regions try to regulate birthday suits away from the beach. The justices said his town had no such rules and rescinded his fines. So panel, now that Alejandro has won the right to walk naked in the street, where will he go? Laura Bricker, what do you think? 
Um, I think he's going to go to the Cedar Waters nudist colony right here in sunny New Hampshire. Oh. Um, I don't know if any of you have driven up Route 125. Tobes, I'm sure you have and seen the sign. Driven by it many times. And um, that would give me a reason to go out and finally find out what's going on out there. So- Alejandro, come to New Hampshire. Laura, you could just go. Yeah, you don't need a reason. reason. (laughs) (laughs) Toby Ball, where do you think Alejandro's going to go now that he's won the right to walk naked anywhere? This is a hard one because I kept coming up with things and they're just too dark. Mm. Like it's like Chuck E. Cheese. Well, that doesn't go on. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> not Bakersfield County. You don't want him to oh, go wow. there. No, clearly not. Clearly there. not. He went yeah. for his waistband. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, wait, because exactly. he doesn't have one. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think? He's going to get some brown bread and mustard because that's what you need for salami. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking like Barcelona, right? Barcelona. I mean, it's like the favorite, most, it's the best, most fun city to say. Barcelona. Barcelona. All right. That's going to do it for us. But Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and learn more about that nudist colony, how can they find you on social media? Um, they can find me at Laura Bricker. I will not get nude at the nudist colony, but I will go with you. And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you and take you up on that offer to take them to Chuck E. Cheese, how can they find you on social media? <laughs> it's not, not going to happen. There's not they enough beer. mass. They have, you know, pictures of beer. Chuck E. Cheese, a thing I learned and when my really kids were really shitty pizza. <laughs> yeah. I feel like every time I took my kids to Chuck E. Cheese, I think it was usually birthday parties and then somebody would get a cold. Always. Like yeah. it was just, that was part, of the, that was part from, of the deal. From the stupid tubes. Come on, man. It's the Playboy Club for toddlers. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. Um, at Toby Ball on H. Kevin, what about you? How can it be found on social media? I'm a Kevin P. Flynn. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show on social media at Crime Crime Writers On, and please join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Please come there. The community is really awesome. Just go to Facebook, look for our page, and hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the stuff we talked about in the business section, all the podcasts we make back there. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. Thanks for all the Shepherd's Pie, Kevin. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin lets it all hang out while I threaten him with a knife. Look at this. It's like a boxer working the speed bag. No. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. I kept my underpants on, and unlike last time, they didn't massage my ass, which was kind of sad. Wow. Well, you said your neck hurt. Why would they massage your ass? That's what I told them. I said, my neck hurts. My neck hurts. Too much. And they were like, okay. Yeah, if you say your neck hurts and they start massaging your ass, there's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I say so, my balls hurt. And there, and, and therein <laughs> lies the <laughs> outtake. Okay. My balls hurt. Let's, uh... <laughs> my vulva hurts. <laughs> my, my clitoris hurts. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and 
starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.